hey, I'm being watched. I'm being followed and being watched. You are too. You can't see them and they're there and they're watching you. Whether it's day or night, it's not Santa Claus. They're watching you. In fact, Daniel chapter 4, Daniel looks at them and he calls them watchers. It's what they're doing to you right now. Watching. That's the word that he uses for angels. That's what's going on. You don't see them. And whether you've studied about them or not, you've already got some idea in your mind of what you think they're like. Because other folks have put that there. I can tell you what angels are like. Angels are kind of like, oh, remember, touched by an angel? Like Della Reese and Roma Downey. Just two nice ladies that show up when you need help. And they are there and they help straighten things out. And then, oh, there's a third one. His name is Andrew. He helps when it's your time to go. Or maybe angels are kind of like Michael Landon. Remember? Highway to Heaven. He just shows up when there's some kind of a need and he helps take care of it and then he's headed on down the road. Maybe angels are like Mrs. Merkel, who everybody calls Mrs. Miracle. Come on, it's Christmas time, everybody. Let's go here. And she just shows up when people are having struggles and she helps them get things right. And then she just goes on to the next TV movie. Or maybe angels are a little more authoritatively like a guy named Clarence Oddbody, right? Clockmaker, angel second class, who died some years ago, but he still hasn't earned his wings. So he's been sent back to help who? George Bailey, right? And so that he can get his wings. Maybe all angels are like that. Maybe all angels are just like people who died but didn't do enough good things. And so God sends them back until they do enough good things so they can earn their wings and go to heaven. I'm thankful for those groans. You and I have a choice. We can try to pretend that angels are an unknowable, imaginary kind of thing, like fairy godmothers and leprechauns and a string of Christmas lights that always works. <laughs> or we could go to the only source of truth about them for real. What better time of year to do that than Christmas time? If you've paid attention, you've noticed, I'll bet, that angels show up a whole lot in the Christmas story, don't they? I noticed that when I was trying to think about what to do with the Christmas season this year. An angel shows up to tell Zechariah that John the Baptist is going to be born. There's an angel telling Mary that she's going to have a baby. There's an angel telling Joseph, don't panic, Joseph. Go ahead and marry her. There's an angel telling shepherds that that baby has been born. And then an angel telling Joseph, panic, it's time to run to Egypt. And then telling him, panic's over, time to come back home. You've heard it a hundred times. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. My plan is up through Christmas Sunday for us to take a hard look at angels as they show up in the story of Christmas. Angels we've heard on high, I've titled it, to borrow something. Think about it, you take angels out of the picture and the Christmas story is radically different. Not only do angels get a key role in the Christmas story, but angels have a key role in the whole story of scripture, in the whole story of human history. Over 590 times the word angel or angels appears in scripture. And it's not there because God needs angels. They are there because, he doesn't need humans either, but they are there because he uses them. Before we can appreciate their role in the Christmas story, we need to get to know them better, man. I'm trying to help you into Christmas here, everybody. All right. By the end of these weeks, we're going to learn to appreciate them much more, and we're going to see how the good works that angels are given to do are very much like the good work that God has given us to do. That's the thing that occurs to me over and over looking at them. So here's what I will specifically want you and me to take out as we leave this morning. And that is that your salvation through Jesus Christ is a celebrated, ongoing work in heaven. And I think that's good news this morning. Every time somebody turns to the Lord, there is, it says in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, there's a celebration in heaven. Jesus said, just so I tell you, there is joy before whom? The angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now I want you, if you're a Christian this morning, if you have accepted Christ, I want you to think back to that day that you became a follower of Jesus. Look back to that day that you believed in Jesus, that you made your appeal to him, that you acknowledged him as Lord, that you repented of your life before, and you were baptized into Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. That day, that time, there was a real interest in heaven in what was going on in your life. A party. A rebirthday party. Jesus says the angels had some kind of a role in that. And it is so much like them to do that. They also were there at creation, we read in the scriptures, and rejoiced as God created things. They sound to me like a pretty upbeat bunch of characters. (laughs) So to lay out a foundation for these five weeks, we need to get a right appreciation for angels. Something other than Clarence Oddbody has got to come to mind when we talk about what God tells us about in scripture. So that means we need to look first of all at some things that angels are and are not. So I may begin your Christmas season here by just ruining it for you. But first of all, there are a whole lot of cartoon ideas about angels, aren't there? Like uh, this one that I found from Reverend Fun. Yeah, take a look at that. Things eased up on guardian angels after airbags were invented. Okay, you can look that up online. Let's take a few minutes and talk about angelology here this morning. Some things that angels are 
and are not. Number one, they're real. They're not cartoons, they're not fairy tales, they're not movie characters. Angels are real beings. They're not physical beings, but they're real beings. And the fact that they aren't physical beings doesn't make them less real. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. In the first century, there were two large factions of the religious leaders. There were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You've heard about them in the New Testament. One of those groups, the Sadducees, didn't believe in the spiritual world. They denied, we read in the book of Acts, they denied the existence of the afterlife. They denied the existence of angels. My dad always used to say, if you can't remember which group that was, just remember, they didn't believe in angels, they didn't believe in the resurrection, that's why they are sad, you see. So let's be intellectually honest and acknowledge angels' existence even though you can't see them. How many of you have a brain? Show of hands. This is audience participation. Oh, thank you. Okay. How many of you have seen your brain? A couple of you with the help of an MRI. All right, smart Alex. But do you believe that it exists? It doesn't have to be seen to be real. Angels are real. Let's get that straight, okay? Here's the second thing. They're created spiritual beings, not humans. They're another class of being higher than us, not humans. We're not told exactly when angels were created in the sequence of things. Sometime before we were. We're not told even if there are more being created or not. They are spiritual beings. They are creatures. Colossians 1.16, Paul says, For by him, by God, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He's speaking especially about the angel realm. Psalm 104, verse 4 says, He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. It's speaking about God's angels. Psalm 8 says that you and I were made just a little bit lower than the heavenly beings. So this other class of beings is higher than us and different from us. We're going to look at some of their abilities in just a moment. But this is so important. This is such a misunderstood fact by a lot of people about angels. Angels are not human beings. Human beings do not become angels. It never worked that way. I don't care what movie you saw. Here's another thing about them that they are. They're powerful, terrifying, mighty beings, not beautiful women, pudgy little naked babies with wings, or bumbling idiots trying to earn their wings. That's one point. Clarence Oddbody, angel, second class, AS2, right? Have you noticed 
how the typical concept about an angel looks like a couple of specific things. Some of you on top of your Christmas tree may have a topper that looks like a, an angel. Does it? What do angels really look like? Because never in scripture when angels make appearances are angels described as beautiful women. Told you I was going to ruin your Christmas. Nor are they described as little naked babies. There are just a couple of places in scripture that give us a description of what some of the heavenly beings look like. One of those I want to turn to in Ezekiel chapter 1. So grab your Bibles. Let's open them up to Ezekiel chapter 1. And we're going to look in verse 4 at Ezekiel's vision in heaven and some of the creatures that he saw there and the description that he gives us of what he was seeing. Chapter 1, verse 4, as I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north and a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces. And each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. Keep reading the chapter and then in the book and you'll learn that these creatures Ezekiel's describing were cherubim. It was cherubim that are posted at the east of the Garden of Eden. Remember that when Adam and Eve were kicked out? To keep them from re-entering the garden, there were the cherubim. Isaiah and John describe another kind of heavenly being called the seraphim, who are the six-winged creatures around the throne of God. And those are the only two types of angels in Scripture defined by name for us that are described there. Every other angel is called an angel. There's one named an archangel, all right? And when they show up, when they make appearances on earth, when they are described for us in the Bible, their appearance is like that of a man. They look like a man. They look like men whose appearance inspires terror like outside of the tomb of Jesus. Matthew 28, verse 2, Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. It's so funny in the original text to read this. It says there was an earthquake, and then the same word says that's what was happening inside of the soldiers, an earthquake. Be kind of a hard picture, wouldn't it, to say, an acute little baby with wings descended from heaven, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. No. Angels are powerful beings with superhuman intelligence and power to the point that they are terrifying. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, overnight, an angel, one angel, single-handedly destroys 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. 2 Samuel chapter 24, start reading in verse 15, one angel struck down 70,000 Israelites. An angel of the Lord 
appears to shepherds outside of Bethlehem, and they are terrified. Fear not. Fear not. No wonder that is the most often first thing said by angels to humans. Fear not. Because they aren't beautiful or cute. They're powerful and terrifying. And that leads to another pretty important point. They are fellow servants with you and me, not someone to be worshipped. In the book of Revelation, where angel, an angel is guiding John around the scene in heaven and having him write things down and showing him things, two different times it says, John says, I fell down at the feet of the angel to worship. And the angel said to him, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you. I remember almost three decades ago when an angel fad kind of blossomed. There were books on angels. There were angel TV shows, angel calendars, angel charms, angel figurines, you name it, all kinds of angel things. And most of them were like the cute chubby babies or beautiful women with wings. And lots of people got way too excited about angels. I remember going to visit the Christian bookstore in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, near where we were living. And they had one whole section of the bookstore devoted to angels. But the idea of exalting angels, that's not something new. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul warned about people insisting on the worship of angels. There was a church council in the year 381, the council of Laodicea, that had to make a statement prohibiting the worship of angels in the church. It's kind of ironic to me that when we work hard to have a right respect for angels and we take that up, we also risk going too far. We should respect them, but we should remember how Psalm 8 reminds us that you and I are made, what? A little lower than the heavenly beings. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, do you know, Christians, that we are to judge angels? I'm going to explain to you exactly what that means. Come back next week. I'm not going to attempt to try to explain exactly how that works out. I can't. It's just another reminder, though, that our relationship to the angels is that of a fellow servant, that they're to be respected. Currently, they live in the presence of God. One day, we're going to live together with them, and we will judge them somehow. So that's some things that angels are and some things that angels are not. Take that into your Christmas season. Take that into these next weeks as we talk about some of the things that they do in the Christmas story. And this morning I'd like to talk about some of the things they do in general. Contrary to cartoon theology, contrary to cartoon, cartoon ideology, they're not just white-robed people who sit around and play harps all day. Parents of toddlers, and anyone who ever was a parent of a toddler, 
When the little ones are in the next room hollering, making lots of noise, does that worry you? Well, of course not. That's what toddlers do. But if there is no, room, no sound at all coming from the next room, does that worry you? Yes, it does. You better get in there and see what they're doing. That's not normal. It means something's going on. You see, just because you don't see something doesn't mean nothing's happening. Same is true of angels. Scriptures tell us, for one thing, they are sent to serve God's people. 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a great story about Elisha and his servant there in the little town of Dothan. And the armies of Syria have surrounded the whole city in an effort to capture them. That morning, the servant gets up and he looks out and the entire horizon is circled by the armies of Syria. And he panics. What do we do? He says. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16 Listen to Elisha. Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You see, God's armies were already there. They just couldn't see them. The enemy was already surrounded. At first, he didn't see it, but it didn't mean they weren't there. Angels work that way. As I read about the purpose and the work of angels in Scripture, I am convinced that there is a whole lot more going on than we see. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says that uh, this... The question, are they, that's angels, are angels not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Psalm 91 says that God will command his angels to guard you. Matthew 18.10 says that we shouldn't despise the little ones because their angels see God's face. In ways that I'm sure we don't understand, angels serve and they help. God's people. Isn't that good news this morning? Someone likes that news. Here's something else that they do. They're interested in us. They're interested in us. They join us in worship around God's throne. The writer of Hebrews describes that worship as something that you and I are already doing. Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to how this is talking about you and me right now. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Now think about that. The writer of Hebrews is describing a worship scene that we are part of. And it's not just the future. He says, you have come to this. When people miss being here with us and worshiping together on Sunday morning, or if people are here, but they're just not engaged and just not worshiping, we should still be encouraged 
by the thought that in the spiritual realm, angels join with us from their heart to worship God. Isn't that incredible? Angels have an interest in our worship. They also have an interest in our salvation. Remember how Jesus said there's more rejoicing in the presence of God when angels turn or when people turn to the Lord. And he mentions in Luke chapter 16, somehow when a person in the Lord dies, the angels are there to escort that person to the presence of God. At the same time, there's no plan of salvation for them. Somewhere in the past, those angels who rebelled against God lost their standing with God, and they'll never be redeemed. Hell was put together for the devil and his angels. There is no redemption plan for them. And the angels who didn't rebel, they don't need to be brought back to God. So when it comes to the experience of being lost and being redeemed, like we experience, angels don't have that experience. They can't. Peter says, 1 Peter 1.12, that angels long to look into this. They can't fully appreciate it. They're very interested in it. Over the next weeks, we're going to look at some of the other specific things that angels did, that angels do, and how that can help us. But I want to land the airplane this morning by talking about some things that we should do in light of angels. All right? Number one, we should be aware and encouraged and thankful for the continuing unseen activities of angels for us. We've got enough information about them in Scripture to let us know that the angels are actively serving the Lord's people today. Just the presence of them to serve God's people reminds us that God cares about us, that God is helping us. When was the last time in speaking to God that you thanked him for his angels? We should be aware, encouraged, and thankful. Second, we should worship God alone with angels as our co-servants, our co-worshippers. Just like any other part of creation, angels are not the creator and we should always regard them as fellow creatures. The only angel who ever invited worship to himself was Satan. God's holy angels are also called in scripture the sons of God. Isn't that an interesting title? Which means in God's household, somehow, in some way, they would be brothers to us. Our co-servants, our co-worshippers with God. Third, we ought to follow their example. Their example of obedience and worship. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones, who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, you ministers who do his will. When we simply obey God, we align ourselves with noble company. Even though we're a little lower than the heavenly beings, we are like them when we completely obey God. 
We're like them when we worship God. You want a good example of someone who is faithful, of someone who is obedient, of someone who worships God? Here they are. Here's the fourth thing, and that is that we should always stand in awe of the amazing grace that we have received. You see, by offering us salvation, God has done something. He has given us something that he didn't do for any angel, that he never gave to any angel. It's no surprise, it shouldn't be, that angels long to look into these things. God's grace is an amazing thing. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says that through the church, through us, God is demonstrating his great wisdom to the spiritual realm. He is demonstrating it to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. They are watching us. And as they do, they are marveling at God's wisdom. Look what God has done. You need one more reason to remain faithful to God. I like the way that Wayne Grudem put it. He said, moreover, we should be aware that angels are watching our obedience or disobedience to God through the day. Even if we think our sins are done in secret and bring grief to no one else, we should be sobered by the thought that perhaps even hundreds of angels witness our disobedience and are grieved. On the other hand, when we are discouraged and think that our faithful to obe obedience to God is witnessed by no one, is, is an encouragement to no one, we can be comforted by the realization that perhaps hundreds of angels witness our lonely struggle daily, longing to look at the way Christ's great salvation finds expression in our lives. Your salvation through Jesus Christ is an ongoing work in heaven. Angels rejoiced when that began in your life. Angels today are serving to help you in that walk. They are anticipating eternity together with you and me. Aren't those amazing things to think about? This Christmas, as we are rereading the story of God with us, we're going to see how much he used and how much he uses his angels to accomplish his work. And we're going to see how much he has put in us a similar work to do. And I hope that you'll watch for that and listen for that as we go through the Christmas story these weeks. It's in the spirit of that work today that I want to say it. Behold, I bring you Good news of great joy that will be for all people. See, one of the things we get to do is to announce that the Lord has sent a Savior and that you can have a restored relationship with God because of this good thing that he has done for us. So this morning, good news, great joy. If you're already a follower of Jesus, you understand that, right? If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you need to. You need to know this morning that Jesus coming into the earth is the greatest news that you could hear today. A Savior was sent for you. One who can restore your relationship to God as it's supposed to be. That's his plan. That's what he wants for you today. 
Earlier in this message, I invited you who have already accepted Christ to think back to the day that you accepted Jesus, that you made your appeal to him, that you called on the name of the Lord, that you repented of your past life, that you were baptized into Christ, that you were raised up a new person, and the angels rejoiced. Today could be a day of rejoicing in heaven if you would make that choice. If that's you, Right now, I'm encouraging you to make that choice. I'm going to ask you please to stand with me. We're going to pray. We're going to uh, sing a song together. It's going to be uh, on purpose creation of an atmosphere where everyone is thinking and praying and an opportunity this morning for you to step forward and to say, I want to make that choice. I want to start a party in heaven. I want the Lord to bring me home. So step to the front when we're singing this morning or after that, just sometime before we leave this place. I'll be down here at the front. Please come speak to me or let it be known that you're ready to make this choice. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, the things that it has for us to learn. Uh, there's so much, God, that we uh, forget or that we fail to put together or really think about. And so I just pray that over these next weeks you'll help us to do that, to understand how you are at work, what you have done, what you are doing, where we fit into that. Thank you for that great story, the amazing story of God taking on human flesh, living in our midst giving himself as a redeemer, as a sacrifice, rising from the dead, ascending to heaven and promising to return so that we can be with him forever. Father, I pray that that great news won't escape us as something that's just too common or that we've heard so many times it no longer thrills us. And I pray today that it would all over again uh, make us excited about serving you and following you. Lord, I pray for those this day who have never made that choice. I pray that it would not be easy uh, in their heart to delay that, but rather that you would create a discomfort, that you would create a real felt need, a real need to be right with you. You've made the way, and how we thank you for that now. In Jesus' name, amen.